0: and now another episode of mind escape with michael and maurice take it away michael all right folks welcome back to mike and maurice's mind escape we have episode number 44 today Uh, we're going to be discussing cave art with bernie taylor what's up bernie how are you
1: hey great thanks for having me on
0: no problem no problem it's our pleasure um so I just got done reading your book before Orion, which actually I thought it was a great book. I didn't know what to expect going into it. Yeah. Um, but from reading it and just stuff I've been studying and stuff, I think that there's a lot of cool, um, a lot of cool aspects of it that you point out that is kind of not what you would see from more of a, um, you know, mainstream, if you will, people are just so reductionist these days. They don't have the imagination to go back and go over stuff. But, uh, why don't you talk about how you got into um, that, the realm of looking at cave art and, and, and the background behind that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my work is really the alternative to the alternative, but it's on like the edge of the mainstream. So um, I, my first two presentations were at Oregon State and another at um, um, Hawaii Astronomical Institute. But as well, I give uh, presentations and podcasts to a wide range of audiences, ranging from psychology to spirituality, archaeology, history, astronomy, a lot of astronomy. And so there's, I'm kind of, there's, as far as I can tell, there's nobody else that does what I do, but the closest person to do is Joseph Campbell. That would clearly be the closest person. Um, So how did I get into this place of cave art and looking into our distant past and ultimately really who we are today? is there was a previous book, and the book was titled Biological Time, and Biological Time was an exploration of how animals and plants are timed. And so I live in the Pacific Northwest, we have a lot of salmon. Actually, some years we have a lot of salmon, some years we don't. And some years the salmon come earlier, and some years the salmon come later. And there's always a question why they did it, because the, whether, whether or not the rivers were high or low, the salmon, you know, there's no connection between the two. And so I asked that question um, to, you know, to better understand the salmon. And I, I found out the answer. And the answer was that the salmon are both timed to the sun and the moon. They're timed to light and dark cycles. And so salmon will migrate during the darker, the darker nights, and they'll slow down at the lighter nights. So on the full moon, they kind of stop, muddle around. And on around the, around the darker on the new moon, they just cruise through the systems. And the, the cycle of the moon is 29 and a half days. 12 times 29 and a half is 11 days shorter, 365. So they're out of sync with each other. So a new moon migration might be January 12th one year. It'll be January 1st the next year. And that's why the migrations of salmon are earlier or later from one year to the next. And as well as um, migrating waterfowl and invertebrates and, and rivers, it's ac- across the biological spectrum. And I gave presentations at the scientific audiences wrote some peer-reviewed stuff, gave a lot of presentations, to Boy Scouts and archaeologists and the tribes. And that was the, that's the link. So when I was speaking to the tribes, they said to me, you know, you've got, you've got to better understand our work. And I looked at their cave art and they sent me, someone sent me to, look at cave art, images of cave art in France from 17,000 years ago. And lo and behold, the exact same way that the Native Americans were timing the, the migrations of animals is depicted in the cave art in France from 17,000 years ago at a place called Lescaut. And what's really cool about these images is when you look at the animals themselves, which is really important, you'll find that they, the artists depicted them at certain times of the year. So he'll have, for example, a deer in rutting condition with, the, with big antlers. And it'll be bl- a deer will be blowing out steam. And, in the, you know, the, the head is arched. The, that deer is in the rut. So, and there's other deer, or actually they'll depict horses that are pregnant. And pregnant horses typically is May, June uh, for, for the females. Or at least they drop their young in, the May, in May, June. And so we're, the artists were depicting their world at that time. And I said to myself, when I wrote after biological time and gave all these presentations, I was pretty far ahead of where biology was at the time, much less archaeology and so on. So I said, I'm going to put this on the shelf for 10 years and then come back to it um, when sort of things have caught up. And people did cat- catch up on the biology side in, in those 10 years. and The, the concepts of using um, salmon timing became a standard in um, salmon wildlife and um, hatchery management. So it's it's like mainstream now. It's you know. So what was a totally whacked out idea for a while was people now use it to save and make money. Okay,
0: <laughs> which is okay.
1: It, it's something that the Indians had. And I gave a presentation to the what's called the Northwest Power Council. So I think these are all the big guru, gurus of power in the Columbia Basin. So these are people who run the big dams. These are the the, the managers, the scientists. And I gave and at the end of the presentation, one the, the leader of this said to me. The Indians had it all along. Um, and the truth is they had it in their culture, they had it in their art, but they didn't have it in like a, a verbal way of saying, this is how it is. It's the moon's out of sync with the sun. They didn't do it that way. They had it in their traditions. And so when, when we look back in time, we have to look at how people lived and in in, um, not how they, they um, how should I say, struggled and how they may do. These people lived at the top of their game. They made incredibly, incredibly beautiful art. And when, we, when I present, pitched this program, I threw out the idea of why do monsters live in caves? Which is, a, you know, we, Hercules goes into the cave, and, and he, he meets the three-headed um, dog, and he fights with the dog. The, the, great, the Sphinx came out of a cave. Um, the, cere- the Cerebus, uh, the, the, um, the centaur of Hercules, lives in a cave. And monster, the dragon lives in the cave, right? The whole, it's just, right. it's a thing. So why, where does this all come from? Because it has to come from someplace. And so if, when you guys are ready, I'll pick up the first slide and.
0: Yeah, we'll pick it up. So do you think that has oh, anything ready, to do baby. with like uh, light deprivation and our circadian rhythm? Cause I mean, sometimes if you, I don't know if you meditate, I meditate when, you, when you're in a dark room and you close your eyes, visuals do start to appear.
1: So the answer is that what, what your experience is, is a true experience and many people have it. I just don't think it has anything to do with the creation of cave art. And so as we go through this presentation of the monsters, we can kind of get into that concept of where do the monsters come from? Because the monsters were real in the minds of the cave artists and in sure. the ancient Greeks who were borrowed from them. But let's, let's figure out really how real they are and how they became monsters.
0: All right. Why don't you uh, right. pull up your uh, presentation and I'll, I'll load it up here. Some interesting stuff. I'm very intrigued. Oh, yeah.
1: This is um, how we looking.
0: You're good. You're looking, good to go. Looking good, baby.
1: So in my book, Before Orion, I actually talk about a few few caves, but the primary one that I do in presentations because I have all the images prepared is this gallery of discs in El Castillo Cave 34,000 years ago. This is the northern part of Spain near near Altamira Cave or the city of Balboa, Balboa. and this is the the Cantabria region. And this dates about 34,000 years ago. Red discs stream across this page, of course, the image is about twelve, ten meters across, or about thirty feet. And this image is one of the iconic image of Paleolithic cave art. Many, many millions of people have seen this image. It's beautiful, and those red discs just, you know, bring you in. And archaeologists, anthropologists have studied every one of those discs. And they're about the size of the palm of your hand. And there's ninety or ninety or so in total. It depends how you, you figure out which one's a disc or not because there's different yeah. shapes. And they they came to the conclusion that this is all about the red disc, but we can't figure out what the red discs mean. And they kind of walked away from the panel from there.
0: What did they use to create the color? Like, what is the red? Red ochre.
1: So we're talking oh, okay. um, so a natural natural substance, natural gotcha. um, mineral substance. Well, if we we can we can actually learn a little bit from this panel and where these monsters come from. From the teacher and his apprentice in this cave, and we can see the red disc form the eyes of the apprentice, the smaller head. And you can see his nose and his mouth is slightly open. His eyes are in absolute amazement. And you can see that the older man with the the dark hair, and he's speaking to the ear of the apprentice. He's telling him something. And maybe he's telling him about monsters. So this, ha- this image that you're seeing now hadn't been seen by the many millions of people. So you that...
0: you, you got to click on the second slide or, or click on the screen because we're just still seeing the main red. Uh...
1: Um, now you see it?
0: Um, no. Hold on here. Did you click on the second slide?
1: I'm on the second
0: slide. Yeah, I don't know why it's not. Uh... Hold on a second here. Yeah, I don't know why it's not pulling it up. Um, on um, Let me see here.
1: I have to go through slide by slide to do it, actually take going in and out.
0: Okay. Um, I mean, I know what you're talking about. Obviously, I read your book with The Apprentice. Um, yeah.
1: So, but think. we're going to, there's a lot of slides. So, how do we...
0: So, just pull up each one and then I'll, you know, we'll present to each one specifically through that. I don't know why that's not Okay, working. we'll try it this way. It should work, but I don't know. Maybe it's just up. capturing the initial image and then he can't. That's, what it's,
1: that's, that's what it's doing is capturing. Yeah, that's the... why.
0: I don't know why that does that, though. It shouldn't do that. Um,
1: okay, that's all right. We'll figure this out. <clears throat> and screen share. So, I'm going to kind of go, go in and out of, okay. the, of the slides. Share. You see it, right? Yep. Yes. Nice. The teacher and the apprentice. Yep. yep. Got it. Okay. Right, so we'll go in. I'll go in and out. You um, know. So in the in this in this image, we can see this this apprentice with his wide red eyes, which from from the discs, and you can see this teacher who's speaking to his ear, and he's telling he's telling him something. What is he telling him? Well, we're going to learn through that. But I believe it has to do with the monsters, as we we would say today. But um, we're going to. But on the shoulder of that teacher. Oh that works yeah
0: uh-huh. whatever you're doing, yeah, whatever you're doing now is working be- between switching between them, so
1: okay, so you see now this, you see that you see one, this yeah. the eagle yep okay, so on the on the shoulder of that teacher is a fledgling eagle and it's a fledgling golden eagle, and we can tell he's fledgling. me he it hasn't flown yet, but the down that's on his flanks, so the artist is telling us a specific time and place, just as I mentioned before that the they would show the deer in running condition. Well, they're showing this this bird on the shoulder of the man um, he stands about a foot high, hasn't flown. So this is an early June time period. It's, this goes back to of my biological clock stuff. And so it's very this is very everything is very exact.
0: So uh, now are all these carved, like these are for sure carvings into the rock like they know that these are carved.
1: Well, prior to my work, there was no identification of anything except red discs. People have since gone back and they've looked at this. And you can see the same. And these, I didn't take the photographs. and um, They're taken oh, by I Spanish. Spanish.
0: But I was just curious, is, is there tool markings or how? how, how
1: oh, uh... so um, thus far, no one has gone back to actually figure out how the whole thing was done, only that it's there.
0: Gotcha. I mean there's clearly shapes. I'm not disputing that. At oh all. yeah. It's, um, uh, I just didn't know if it was something that was naturally like that, which would be amazing in itself, or if there was somebody chiseling these into them.
1: Well, it was done multiple ways. And one way was engraving sort of chiseling. Otherwise, there's organic matter at the top organic and mineral matter at the top, and he scraped that away. He also did black shadowing in different places. So it's a very complex image that was done many in many different ways. And as gotcha. we go through this panel, there's other characters, such as we, we find this this elephant with its trunk down. Um, this and we find the same. We find again an, an elephant now with the trunk with the trunk up and the ear up.
0: I think that's the most clear one from what I, you know, was reading in your book. Yeah, most
1: people say the yeah it's the elephant in the room. And if you <laughs> and if you um, look at them, they're actually the same elephant. And so if you rotate it 90 degrees. You'll in in your head you'll see that the artist created two elephants from one and two different emotional positions of the elephant. One is this is an alerted one with the trunk up, and the other with the with the trunk down is drinking, gotcha. perhaps from water. And uh, so the artist is giving us multiple perspectives. We can put them side by side and see that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So definitely.
1: the art, this this artist Man, is sweet. is genius, is absolute genius. In the same way that he put the the eagle on the shoulder of the man that creates the hairline of the man, he creates multiple perspectives from the same characters. And that is really important. And we, we do this sort of stuff in our modern time. Here's a test that's been on the internet. It's, it's kind of an imbe- embedded image test. And when you guys look at this, what do you see?
0: An elephant with a donkey, with a dog, with a cat.
1: Good. That's actually pretty good. And there's... Well, it's some people will look at that and they'll, they will see 20 animals at one time. Wow. Okay. Damn. And because we're all wired differently and the people that, the people that see all the animals at one time have what's called um, local processing bias. And this, this palliative artist probably had that same ability that he could see the details and that things just popped out. I showed this gallery disc image from the cave to people when I was writing the book. And most people sort of elephant pretty quick, but one or two people, every animal that I ultimately found by the end, they had seen in one shot. It just, sort of just jumped out to them yeah. because everybody's uh, were wired differently. And I believe that this gallery, this test was a test as well as other images to see if the apprentices could um, kind of take on, have the concept of seeing multiple perspectives.
0: How does this relate to uh, pareidolia? Do you know what that is? So
1: pareidolia is really important. What well, pareidolia is, when you look at the clouds and you see a rabbit or you see an elephant or a right. horse, your mind has created that. And we, as human beings, we, re, we uniquely have pare, pareidolia because it, it gives us the ability to create art. And Picasso, right. Picasso had a feeling about that. We're going to hit that in a few slides later. Okay. But, yes, it's our imagination of pareidolia that helps us to take that next step in creating art. And this is actually embedded image test that psychologists use. And the faster that you can find those, those little images at the top and the bottom is, um, is your speed of local. Um, local local process bias that you can you can find embedded images. And that person I said two people that had discovered discs, everything popped out at once, would have would have passed would have done this test in seconds. Yeah. Whereas most people would take a few minutes because they have to reason it through. And we had these sort of tests in our modern art, this one's by Bev Doolittle, and she puts that red fox right down the middle to draw your attention. Have you guys mm-hmm. ever seen this before?
0: No, oh. but I see—that's the first thing I saw when you pulled it up.
1: Yeah, so she's drawing your attention. So, what do you guys feel about this?
0: Um, now I'm starting to see birds all over the place. I don't know if I'm hallucinating <laughs> or what, man. Uh huh. I would—I would, I say, like I would it. say it looks like a, a fox on like a rock cliff or something like that. Okay. So
1: Bev is playing with your mind in the same way the gallery disc artists did by putting those red discs. There's actually two Native Americans on horses.
0: Yeah, like, I knew I saw something. There okay. they are. And you can
1: see it there. Are, <laughs> and they blend into the into the snow Yeah, in the trees. That's bad. So we ass. do this in our modern time. When we were kids, we used to go to the, go to the diner. On the flip side of the kids' menu, they had these sort of tests. You had to find all the animals. Right, and, I remember that. And some people... Pass them more easily in others. And the, I believe this, these are, in fact, a test. The test of being able to see have multiple perspectives, and David Baum, the astrophysicist, said, the ability to perceive or think differently is more important than the knowledge gained. So you just learned that there's two horses, there's two, two riders, and the fox in that previous image. How important was that in itself was meaningless. But what you did learn is that your eye was drawn first to the red fox. And then you, then you learned about the, the, the Native Americans and the horse. Therefore, you yourself, we're, we're not, there's no such thing as a perfect person. We're all wired differently. We all have different perspectives and abilities. And that's what David Baum is talking about. And um, as we go back to this gallery of this image, we can learn there's so many more characters on this panel. We have the speckled mare. And when I first went to this, this, looked at this image, the, the gallery of this, I was looking for a horse. And I was looking for a pregnant mare. Because the most common animal in pelvic art is a pregnant mare. So I was out there looking for it, but it took me two and a half years to find it when I first started looking. The first animals I saw were the elephants. They sort of jumped out. But as a concept... I was going through this. Every few days, I'd see something different or, or, or unique perspectives. And I after like about six months, I just you know said, there's so much more to learn that is, is obviously apparent that this is an endless image to, to learn about. In fact, there was an animal that I, I pulled out the other day that I hadn't previously seen. Um, and I haven't drawn it up and put in slideshows, but I will later. And we go on that same panel we have this cosmic man, he's wearing a mask, and it's obviously a male. And one leg is obvious, and the other one is, is fairly unclear. And his left hand, which is against the wall, has a feathered appearance. And the right side of his mask has um, the beak of an eagle, the beak of a, a golden eagle. And his right hand, he holds an egg, a big egg. Um, and this is, so when we look at this, someone might say, you know, a, kid, a child might say, oh my god, It's not a superhero, but it's a monster, right? Right. Uh, Yeah, this half man, this half bird that's coming out of the rocks. And, of course, we find him
0: in a cave. Pretty cool. So in terms of that, then, where would they have gotten that idea from in terms of, you say, Cosmic Man, so that I would assume Star Traveler. I mean, some people might say Alien or whatever. But in in reality, where would they have gotten the idea for that?
1: So the I name this this person the cosmic man, but the cosmic man is a worldwide phenomenon of the person who transcends into the, the stars. Um, and so this person actually is a constellation. We're in, we're gonna we're gonna pull in a bunch of them more later and you'll see how they kind of work out. Okay. But um and next, so if we if we put the man who's behind the horse, we find the man is integrated with the horse. He becomes a centaur. Okay, so in the Greek tradition, and among we, find in the, so Hercules is um, Chiron is the teacher of, of Hercules, and so that in modern times we would say that the centaur is a monster. I mean, there's no question about it: half man, half beast. So this man has transformed himself. Um, this man into the horse; he's become one and the same. And the artist did that by overlapping the characters. And that's just how he did it. He's, it's quite brilliant. So there really, were never centaurs, but the artist found in his myth, this hero, this person goes on his journey, and he harnesses first the ability of or the strength of the golden eagle, gives him vision from, from the sky. And then he, he merges with the horse to give the strength of, of a running animal and perhaps leaping as well. So there's, we're, we're, you've, we've seen two monsters thus far. Um, that there that are in the tradition and let's we'll find another one uh, sort of well that man we saw before that with the mask is to my left so-called cosmic man and you can see the beak on the side of his face and you see his chin and he shows one eye to which is to my right and next to him is the teacher the man who had the eagle on his shoulder if you rotate rotate them 90 degrees one is the other so the teacher that was telling that story to the apprentice it's talking about transformation, about all the possibilities, all that can be imagined. And in that story, he himself transforms into this cosmic man by putting on the mask, by becoming the avinoid, the teacher. And the, the teacher goes on this journey as the avinoid, who becomes one with the horse and so forth. He embodies the myth itself. So, again, so now we found the monsters. This is sort of the, so the doctor, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, that we, there's... There's multiple personalities with all of us if we allow them to come forth.
0: Yeah, that's what we'd call duality. It's duality, exactly. And
1: we can find this transformation in, in this next image, in this, this, this man who puts on the mask to become that avinoid. And the, the, the rear left hand of, the, of this character is also the feathered hand that we saw in the cosmic man that was against the wall. And it, in his right hand holds the egg, just as we saw at the cosmic man. And so is the monster, um, in this duality, when we transform to the other being, We this is not, this person, these people did not believe that people hatched, that some beings hatched as a bird and became an avinoid. They did not believe that the centaurs actually exist, existed. What they believed is that people could bring on the spirits of the animals. They could take their form and by putting on the mask, by becoming one with the other. And we do that in, in yoga today. In yoga, we transform into the lion and the, the snake and the, the, the crocodile and so forth. In our movements, we, we summon the spirits of the animals, and a tradition, people they when they do it, we don't really think of it that way, but that's really what's going on. We're drawing the strength of those of those animals. And if we go back and look at that cosmic man, we can see that again, in his right hand he holds the egg, and that left hand is the feathered is the feathered arm against the wall, which we found in this previous slide. So this artist is talking about multiple perspectives, and he's taking us on this journey, not just of the person who travels across land, but it's a journey in our minds that we're, we, we ourselves have to step back and say, is this even possible? And if it is possible, where does it take us as a people? But we're seeing monsters in our past, and all these monsters we're finding on the wall of a cave.
0: So what about the elephant, though? Because, I mean, I'm just trying to think, younger, Dryas. Before the younger dryas, there was land bridges. All of Europe was connected. Um, the Strait So this
1: this is an image of north of Spain, and that el, that elephant is an African elephant, the, based on its taxonomy. The the you, elephants, um, they couldn't. There was not a bridge across the Strait of Gibraltar. They would have, um, the only land swim, bridge. Is swim walk or boat?
0: Oh, okay.
1: You had, you had It's either you swam across the Strait of Gibraltar to find the elephant. Or you had to, or you had to walk around the Mediterranean. Gotcha. And uh, and th- what the artist tells us is that he was familiar with the marine environment. He shows us this spinning dolphin. It's either more than one dolphin or it's spinning. And I sh- I, I need to put slides comparison someday because you can actually when a dolphin is spinning, all these appendages pop out. I mean, looks bottle, pretty good. That looks like dolphins. Yeah, yeah
0: that, that looks like pretty a sweet. pretty obvious dolphin shape.
1: And I really struggled when I, I, I recognized pretty quick that when you find those, those holes, engraved holes in the wall, that was the eye of one or more animals. But this one, it, I really struggled with because the, the mouth wasn't right for any animal that I can imagine. Because uh-huh. I couldn't get out of my head that there could be a marine environment. And what this art this image is actually depicting is that the artist traveled across water. And when he travels across water, he becomes one with the dolphin. So that man be, we saw before holding the egg with the, with the rear, his arm in the back that was feathered. He merges in this panel with the, do, with the dolphin to become this therianthrope, a merman, or, you know, we would think today is a mermaid. But in this, in this theme, there's, it's a merman. But again, so if, if someone said, you know, there's merman, you know, swimming on beaches, you know, the first word that comes out is, is really monster, right? Okay. Uh, monsters are, are attacking, but in the uh, in the mind of the Paleolithic artist who made this, that there's a myth, there's a story of the of the hero that takes on the strength of these animals. He summons their spirits, and they help him on his way.
0: Hmm. Well, I know that there's instances where they think that the Cyclops myth came from them finding woolly mammoth skulls, since it's got the one. Uh, ocular cutout in the, the front of the skull. Um, so, I mean, I, I could definitely buy that, you know, obviously some of these myths come from obviously some sort of physical representation. I got it. Cyclops is a good one. That's a good
1: one. We've gone back to the cosmic man. Do you see it? Yeah. yeah. How many eyes does he have? Uh, yeah. And in the story of, of Odysseus, the Cyclops throws rocks at his ship. So many people, the Greeks, the Romans, the Babylonians, Phoenicians, Egyptians, and others had been to these caves, but different people at different time had been to them. And from each one, they brought away their own interpretation, their own story. And in this one, I would say, this guy is the, is the origin of the Cyclops. And, he's, and in the Homeric version of, U, of um, Ulysses, he's throwing the rock. The one-eyed man is throwing the rock at the, at the, the people in the water.
0: So your hypothesis is that all of those stories came from just this one cave, or do you think it's multiple caves? Or
1: well, there there's multiple caves, and there's multiple stories. So there's multiple caves that have images, and some of the images are actually the same characters, the same themes, but they but each when when you go into the cave. Um, we, actually, you, you look at an image like this, the first thing that pops out is some sort of a monster. So when the archetype is encountered, the story is evoked. Where you take that story, whether or not he's holding an egg or he's throwing a rock, is your own, your own imagination. But we do recognize <clears throat> that this being is something beyond you know, our ordinary form.
0: Yeah, that's gotcha. right.
1: <clears throat> and so people came, I can trace many stories throughout the Mediterranean into the Sahara, Sahara based on this gallery of discs. But I can also find other ones in the in the among Nordic people that tie into other images. So here's an interesting one. <clears throat> so most of these constellations, most of these images that you've seen so far are actually constellations. And that cosmic man is Hercules, and we go around. Uh, Aegea is the e- constellation. Agia is the eagle. Pegasus is the horse, and the the the. the the eagle man actually overlaps with the horse and makes the horse winged, so it becomes the winged pegasus. And the dolphin becomes Pisces going around the constellations. And they're all in the same order. And Aquarius would be the man who overlaps with, uh, with the fish. Well, in this one, we have a monk seal. Well, a monk seal is not a monster, but it, it is in the position of Cetus, the so-called sea monster, and the Greeks probably wanted to come up with a better story than the man encountered a seal, as they say he encountered a sea monster. And if you, encountered, if you came across a, a seal in the night on the beach and it started making its noise, you know, Bigfoot wouldn't jump to your mind, or right. perhaps, you know, a sea monster would. And a sea monster is a much better story than, an opposite, than a seal. But we're going through the yeah. constellations now as we travel on our journey. And they're all in the same order as the Greeks had them. And the Babylonians. The Babylonians had Her- Hercules and Orion in their zodiac. And so the next character we find as we go around this panel, his red-haired man who holds the club, is in fact Orion. And he has slain one of, these, one of these animals because he has the pelt, the draped red pelt around his neck. And he has red hair too, which is kind of interesting. So, this guy is astronomically to the south, whereas the cosmic man Hercules character is astronomically to the, to the north.
0: And were these aligned with the processional equinox for the timing uh, 34,000 years ago?
1: <clears throat> Good question. Because I, um, there is, we, we, we're going to step back one second on this processional equinox and, and what is it really all about? So, there, the zodiacal constellations we can see now go back to Paleolithic times. But the zodiac itself goes back to the Greeks and the Babylonians, and right. that they had a certain number of constellations that, as they appeared on the horizon, um, the eastern horizon, it told them the time of year. And then, if there's a twenty-seven thousand year cycle, that those, adam- those same zodiacal constellations, as they appear um, looking um, east at the vernal equinox, they will be. They will be. Um, a certain timing within that 27-year cycle, okay? And so that, do I believe that these people had any idea of processional cycles? Absolutely not. And it's certainly not processional equinoxes because earlier I'd mentioned that this, um, the gold, the eagle on top of the man's shoulder is a June time period. Well, that okay. would be close to the summer solstice when it'd be equinox. So if someone h- believed that everything had to do with the e- processional equinox to try to time this panel, they'd be trying trying to time... A summer solstice panel off of the vernal equinox and that they offer maybe seven or eight thousand years.
0: Now so you, Miller, you think that they were just aware of these constellations, but they, they weren't aware, advanced yet to, to figure out the okay. And so you can have
1: constellations without precession of the equinoxes. Right, right. And that's really important. And so people there, there are many images of constellations among Native Americans and in Europe in their art. And they're they're at the time of year in that place where they they so I had the I earlier mentioned that we had the the deer in the Lascaux cave on a panel. Well, that would if he had put the constellations on that panel, which some people there's actually a movie about that same panel. It's called the Hall of the Bulls. Um, actually, the movie is called um, The First Astronomers, and it was made by a woman named Chantel who showed that she demonstrated that. That same panel was a fall scene with all the constellations. So yeah, I think
0: I've, I've seen you present that, where the uh, the it's the astronomical alignment um, in that cave with the uh, taurus and all that. Correct.
1: So she yeah she overlaps the constellations with over the animals, and whether or not you so you know it's here nor there. Um, she has she presents a pretty good case, and you can watch the movie is on. YouTube, you can find it, or stream on Curiosity Stream.
0: Isn't there um, another documentary on Netflix too about the Lisco caves with the two, two about two guys having? I don't know if they figured something out or. Oh, there's, there's
1: actually one on the Altamira Cave.
0: Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, that's
1: and we're going to hit some Altamira images later, and that was a, a Verna H- Herzog video. Um, and they actually don't figure out anything; they're just telling about their their spiritual experience. Listen. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, So we have this red-haired man, and he's, you know, maybe he's fighting off a monster. Maybe he's killed the monster because he has the club and he has the he has the um, the reward or the the prize around his neck. And at the top, above that red-haired man on the top of the panel, we have two lions. And the lioness has that block head, and she's licking the lion at the top. And he has a he has a he has a blockhead, but he also has that 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 the mane seems to stream going backwards. it's, uh, the, the back of his head seems to stream going backwards at the appearance of a mane. And in Europe at that time, there were lions, but they didn't have manes, whereas African lions um, do. And so we have this, we have, you know, but what we don't see is um, the lion attacking the man. We see the lioness Licking, cuddling up to the lion. Perhaps he, she's licking his food. She's waking him up in the morning. She's come back from a, you know a hunt, and she's just saying hi. It's what lions do. If you guys have cats, they come up and do this stuff all the time. Okay? Yeah. Um, it's it's a cat thing. Um, but again, what we're, as we're going through this panel, where um, these all could be monsters, but they're all they all could be ferocious beasts. But the artist doesn't see it that way. He draws strength from them on his journey. And that's real. It's a really important concept. And there's another one that I don't do in the other presentations. You probably you might not have seen is this large carnivore. And this is a mythical animal. This this carnivore does not exist. And it's a carnivore based on the shape of its mouth, and he has that long red tail. And he he sits like a cheetah, but it's not a cheetah because there actually are cheetahs in this image. That it's very um, succinct. The characteristics of the cheater—he knows the difference. This isn't a cheater. Um, so this is some sort of mythical animal, some combination of things. And we—when I first saw—when I first saw this, um, I said, "I know that face from somewhere." And it looks and, like
0: a Pokemon to me.
1: <laughs> well, we've all seen the face before. Yeah, it's I the Giza mean... Sphinx. Yeah. It's the blo- and the nemes on the Giza Sphinx is is that feature on the back of his head, which is the head part of the head of the elephant that we saw well, earlier. But
0: that's that's under the assumption that that's the face that was originally there. If you look at the proportions of the Sphinx and how, how much of a work of art it is, I, I think everybody is in agreement that um, the proportions would be for such a master piece of work the proportions are off. So it was either carved down at some point, maybe from a jackal, maybe from... So uh, I
1: don't agree with that. Let us explain why. We'll go back a slide. I don't agree with that. Because what we see here is we have, we, we have here the lion, the huge lion that goes across the panel. Okay? Right. And this large carnivore actually intersects with the lion. Okay? And so the lion's head would be going forward, whereas this, this head goes up. And so we're bringing new information to the conversation. So what I believe happened is that the ancient Egyptians had been to this or they had knowledge of people had been to this panel. And they they put two images together just as the same as we took the the, the man and the dolphin and the and the person the human and the, the cosmic man and and the avian become the avianoid and as well as he emerged the horse became the centaur. So it's a therianthrope it's, it's a it's a combination of two different two different objects that don't exist in the real in the real world actually the lions do but the the,
0: the well let me ask you sphinx- too because there's a theory that the Sphinx was actually a lion's face before too and it was facing when it was carved it was facing the um, uh, during the processional equinox which yeah. the Egyptians did know about um, it was facing uh, Leo constellation.
1: Exactly, and I've heard that. And so now we can look back 34,000 years ago and find that, in fact, that's not correct. It's an interesting idea, but it just isn't correct because we can see that the origin of the Sphinx, the Sphinx's head, you can see the tear marks on the top of the head, or the um, you can see the the nemes, you can see that square face, and he's connected to the lion. And so it's not an exact replica, but it's like 90%. And so the the, the Egyptians that have been to this or their or their or their um, their Predecessors, they walked away from it and they came up with a, a new being and they stylized it a little bit, a little bit more like a human being. In the same way that the, 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 the ancient Greeks stylized the man who overlaps with the horse to become the centaur. So we can see that so, so this is the, so we're back to the monsters, aren't we? Of course, the monster, the sphinx lived in a cave. The sphinx did not live on the, the Giza Plateau. So it's a representation uh, what was in the mind of man in, in their myth, in their story, and so we. What one of the things that jo, so John Anthony West was, West was quite brilliant, and when he, he he went back to the literature, and he said his 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 mentor it was in print was Schwaller, and Schwaller said that
0: if Temple you count man, back yeah,
1: all the, the dynasties or all the, the 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 dynasties that are on on these these tablets, you go back thirty six thousand years. That's what Schwaller said. And so John Anthony West didn't buy into the whole procession of the equinox thing. He said, this isn't 11,000, 12,000 years. If we're going to go by the story that the Greeks told us, so we're not going to pick and choose, we've got to be talking 36,000 years ago. Because that's the chronological record of these of these dynasties among the Egyptians.
0: So you think that this, the Sphinx was carved then, or you think that the idea was conceived then? Because, I mean, I know that there's dif- there's back and forth with a lot of the different uh, Egyptologists, and I mean most of them are fringe because academia thinks it's like a cut and cut mm-hmm. and dry case, but um, if you look at what the arguments are, I mean I know Dr. Robert Schock um, has examined the Sphinx a lot and concludes that there is weathering. At some point water had gotten around the base of the Sphinx and it's pretty clear anybody that's looked at it. Main yeah. Egyptologists say that it's uh, uh Wind erosion, I don't necessarily agree with that because it doesn't show the same pattern. But um, in terms of. So what, I have no what, argument with. So,
1: so I'm okay with the, you know, between the eight and 12,000 years of water erosion on the Sphinx. I have no issue with that. What I believe happened is that the, the people who carved it and then retouched it later because they retouched this face. Um, they had seen or they had knowledge of this gallery of disc image. Gotcha. So whether or not it, whether it was 5,000 years or 8,000 or 12 or whatever it was, they had knowledge of this. And the knowledge goes back in that record to 36,000 years ago, as Schwaller talks about and and John Anthony West had um, kind of put out there that, so they, they, they had a record, and the record went back for a deep, a deep period of time, and the record wasn't a processional record. The rec- they actually
0: had it's a list, it. It's a list of kings that,
1: that It was a, a it. list of kings, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so it, it existed. Um, the records there, and it, John Anthony, God rest his soul, was correct. Um, and but so there, this is the source. One, it was actually made or and, and retouched many times. I'm sure. I have no opinion on, but there's a few, a few of the characteristics that are quite interesting. One is clearly the Nemes that we find in the back of this character. We have that square jaw, and then we have that that tear mark at the top of his head, um, which gotcha. is apparent in both. But it's a it's it's a mythical peach creature, and the ancient Egyptians they um, you know they touched it up a little bit, and which is you know pretty cool. You got to make it look like a monster, and you don't <laughs> want to make it too too monstrous, right? This is, what, this is a crocodile. It's a West African crocodile. And I, when I wrote the book, I saw the head and p- most of the... But I actually... I just never figured out the rest of the body. I, I let it go. But recently I pulled up... I worked on it again. I came up with the tail and how it works. And it, and it works for... So again, we have, a mon- we have a crocodile in the cave. But astronomically, as we go around, around this whole thing, we found, before we found Orion, and then we found the, the lion. The lion is, becomes Leo. And next coming, going around the sky becomes... Um, Ursa Major, which is not in here, not I don't I didn't have it today, but there's images of the, the bears. But then the next one going along the line is Draco, um, and so the origin of Draco as the dragon was a crocodile, because they drew it, they found it from this image. And why they came up with they knew what crocodiles were, but why do you have a dragon instead of a crocodile? I'm not really sure. One possibility is that the the legs. I believe this is actually a swimming crocodile. And because it's swimming, it doesn't have, you can't actually see the legs. And when, when Draco is depicted in the night sky, it's depicted without legs, the constellation Draco. So one possibility is that, um, Just the mouth know, coming out of the water. It's coming out of the water, yeah, it's coming out of the water. And it, it's, it's, or half submerged in, in the water or something like that. And so here we are, we have another monster. We have a dragon, which is throughout myth and lore. And we find it in a cave. <laughs> we find <laughs> it in the same cave as the Sphinx.
0: the question. When, yeah. when, how were these caves? Do they have evidence there's fires in there? Or like how were they seen? How dark is this cave?
1: Good actually, no, that's a really good question. There's a movie about there's actually a movie about that. And it's starring Antonio Banderas, and it's called <laughs> Altamira. <Of course. laughs> Altamira. And um he, he did all this work in Altamira. He he did he, one of his, his workers discovered it. And he brought in uh, an, uh, an illustrator and they showed how the, all, how the art was made and so on. And then the skeptics came in and they said, well, there's no soot marks on the ceiling. Yeah. Therefore, I think artists could not have done this because they didn't have candles. I think so. They didn't have lights as we have them today. Right. And so he was discredited based on that one thing. But then in, this, in the movie, as it goes, they, he's in this kitchen with, his, with, um, with the cooks and they're burning marrow Bone marrow, okay. which doesn't give off soot. Gotcha. Okay, and so most likely they were using bone marrow because we don't find the soot marks on the ceiling or around these caves, and it's preserved as it is. If if they were if these images took some time to make, and if they were fires or you know just candles as we have them, you know it would have been a mess. But here again, we find another monster. We're, we're cruising that we found centaurs, the abyanoid, we found the sphinx. Do you think though, to,
0: uh, where I was going with that is the flicker of a flame could even highlight some of these images?
1: Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah.
0: The yeah. contour and everything.
1: And what he probably did is, so in the, in the early slides, we, f- we found the teacher talking into the mouth of the pre- pre- apprentice. What he do- probably did is he probably walked from the viewer's right to the left with a candle and took him on that journey. Gotcha. And, it, and each, each animal that he was presented with, he learned about that, and he didn't see the rest of it. Uh, but absolutely so how how i'm pretty sure that this is a crocodile is that the next slide we have a a striped reptile which is under the tail of the crocodile and so it's not it's not a ferocious crocodile that's fighting with the the hero it's a crocodile that's protecting its young okay so that's important so in this Throughout this panel, some of the images we've seen, many others, there's there's a relationship actually between the, the mother and the, the mother animal and the, the juvenile. There's a there's a giraffe with her who protects her young. There's a uh, Iberian lynx who protects her young, and so the what we're finding is the empathetic scene. We're not finding a, a story of monsters that are you know emerging from the caves and attacking man. And among mm-hmm. in the Greek traditions, you know the centaur was the helper of of Hercules. And, of course, he does, Hercules ultimately does kill centaurs in the cave, um, but, uh, but he's drunk. And that's part of the story. And we talked, to, Al, let's go to Altamira, take a look for a second. So Altamira cave is in the same neck of the woods as the El Castillo cave. And it was one of the first big caves found. And Picasso was brought into... To, to say, you know, is this a fake, how is it done, and so forth. When Picasso emerged from looking at it, he says, none of us could have done anything like this. This is far beyond our imagination. Well, Picasso was quite clever. Not only did he make that um, that the determination that, you know, we can't do this, but he actually borrowed images from the cave. And he borrowed these two images, these irregularities in the rock from Altamira that have charcoal marks on them, and he put them on his first... Ar- cubism work, which is also considered the first work of modern art, Les Le de Avignon. He puts them on the mass of the women, these, these women of the street, these women of the brothels, these prostitutes. And these, these masks are depicted kind of the shape of um, mares, horses. So he puts them on top of the, um, he creates mass. so he, he connects the Paleolithic to create the modern. So modern art itself, is not a new creation. And people said when they, when they first saw Les Le Dem d'Avignon, this is monstrous. But it's really Picasso's borrowing a metaphor from the past. But we have this, still have this theme of monsters that we... When we, when we look at you know, movies and, and, and listen to stories that have these, these strange creatures, we have to realize that the animist... The animal within us that goes back to a very distant time—we c- had a connection with the with these animal beings, and that we learned from them, we drew strength from them. They were not—they um, were not harming us. Um, of course, you know, once in a while, I'm sure a lion took away a baby, but the norm was that the the people were watching the animals, observing and learning from them, in the same way that Picasso now borrows from this this Altamira image and this is the same place that the question of the boat of the why how can this nose stood in the cave, and they ultimately resolved it with um, the bone fat marrow right and a famous image this is and prior to my work this it was always assumed that this the masks were African masks, and you'll find it everywhere that there is except my work you 'll find that it's a presumption of African mass, including the movie that came this, this series that came out last spring, um, on Picasso, a national geographic channel, oh, which yeah, is of course, yeah.
0: I didn't starred see that, by but...
1: Antonio Banderas. <laughs> of course, dude, of course, man.
0: <laughs> so he's all the funny Antonio, all and all over the place. Antonio and Benicio really cornering the market. Yeah. I didn't even know, I didn't even know Antonio's was in uh, to art. What the fuck's going on with this guy?
1: So he was so the funny, the really interesting part of this, is that the the it's he play he's there's a connection between this Picasso and his role in Altamira as he, as he becomes the amateur archaeologist? Mm. Is that Picasso barred from Altamira, the cave right. that he actually discovered? And if only if the Picasso series or the Altamira movie had made that connection, it would kind of been a lot more interesting. But yeah, they did yeah. um, My work didn't come out until after those those.
0: Are you familiar with the most recent find in Borneo that says it's 40,000 plus, the cave art?
1: Yeah, and, and that's um yeah, so that that's actually an interesting point because how did how did this 34,000 year came up in this cave? Um and what they this this this, this is a limestone panel and um, carbon calcite secretes from the limestone and you can you can date that using a uranium testing technique. And so the, the calcium carbonate goes, when it goes over the art, you can say that the the art is older than the dated calcium carbonate. And so these how they come up with these dates is they're saying that is the minimum, that's the minimum age. Gotcha. So this image I'm saying is thirty at least 34,000 years ago. In fact, it could be 100,000 years ago, but it's not, okay. Right. And the, the one in Borneo could be 10,000 years older. So it's really saying that's the minimum age for them. My I believe that, the first art didn't come from Borneo. It didn't come from um, didn't come from Europe. It came from Africa. Um, gotcha. And that's really um, came. Well, from, we had an so, interest.
0: We had an interesting guest on um, Bruce Fenton, where he wrote a book called Into Africa. Where yeah, I read a good book. He, he hypothesizes that. You know, life came out of Australia and worked its way up from Sundaland up the, uh, you know, when there was a the land bridge there uh, before the Younger Dryas, worked its way up into Indonesia and up through Europe and then down into Africa. So um, the timelines there to me don't seem too off from that hypothesis. But I mean, it, it's for me, it's it's one of those things where I don't I don't see enough, Either way, I mean I, I think the most people would agree life started in Africa, but I think the Australian aspect is definitely an interesting aspect with the cave paintings they have too, the Wajiji and the um the dream dancing and all the stuff that the ancient stuff that they still and it was a um it was an oral tradition, which I think is far more uh, uh what do you want to call it? Reliable than, you know the passing on of, you know, writing and different things.
1: Yeah. Bruce is a bright guy. I read his book and uh, I respect his, his work. My, my sense though, is there's actually a lot of moving around and where people actually came from is unclear. And we think that people moved you know, from, you know, one forest to another um, over many generations, but really in the Sahara today, the Tuareg will travel over a thousand miles a year on foot. And there yeah. as nomads, so people probably did a lot more traveling in the past than we could imagine. And there's a lot of gaps in the DNA. Um, so, But I, I really respect his work, and he's, he's on to something. And I believe that what will ultimately come out of his, his work is that he's showing the mixing of people from different right. places and so forth. And so we can go to this next slide. We actually find another monster, another, another Picasso monster. And this is the Picasso image is from a, um, a curtain he made for a play. And we can see that avinoid character with the big chest and the he- the beak of the bird is not an Eagle and it's not a vulture. It's some mix between the two. And of course the, the bird man is carrying a monitor and they, I'm, I'm totally unsure what the other going on with the other character. I mean,
0: that one's there. clearly a monster of all the ones you showed me. That one looks like some sort of half bird, half man, half penguin. <laughs> yeah, the penguin. Oh, or it looks yeah. Like a, it's got so like a toucan, Picasso- a
1: toucan uh, bill or something. <laughs> so where did Picasso get it from? Well, he got it from to pere non pere in France from about 25,000 years ago. And what we're looking at in that image is we have the same big chest. We see those big gangly hands. And he also shows those, those feet that were kind of not exactly how they should be. But on the top of his head, we see the mass that comes off. And... So it's a shaman, sort of some sh- shamanic type character who's wearing the mask. He transforms into the Avonoid. And so we, we find this character, this Avonoid character throughout Paleolithic Europe in the caves. And each cave he's in, he's a different bird. In this one, That's he's a bearded vulture.
0: So do you think he was just traveling around to different caves looking for inspiration? Oh,
1: or? absolutely. Of course he was. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, that it's is a, pretty close, that one right there.
1: Oh, it's damn close. And, um, and there's... And within that, what you can't see so readily within that image is um, there's a horse within the there's a horse within the, um, the cave art image that Picasso yes, used as the central character in his Guernica, and he, he actually drew a few different he pulled a few different characters from this this image. Now Picasso was on to something, and Picasso was very bright. And you asked about Paradilia before. Well, Picasso said, and "I'm going to quote him on this one." It occurred to man to create his own images. It's because he discovered them in the world around him, almost formed or almost already within his grasp. He saw them in a bone in the irregular surfaces of cavern walls. In a piece of wood, one form might suggest a woman, another a bison. So Picasso's talking about paradigm. He saw that in, in a cave wall, there was, there was a slight, slight outline of a horse. And the, the artist then filled out the body and the legs. And if you look at the clouds, you'll see bunnies and all these sort of things. Well, so we, art comes from paradigmia. And we found that same paradelia in the cave walls and the wood and the bone. And we brought the, the spirits forth from them. We summoned the animals from those, those objects. Because in because the, the animist mind, who these people were, they're all spirits. The stars are spirits, the, the plants are spirits, the river are spirits, and as well as a piece of a cavern wall or a piece of wood. They're all spirits. So they're summoning the animals from the spirits. And so that ties, that kind of pulls back to that whole day of peridillion. Where does this all come from? And Picasso figured this out because he looked into the caves and he himself took these characters as the two masks in Altamira and he. he took them forth and transformed them into the, the two women in the brothels in, um, in Europe. Gotcha. And uh, so you, you would ask early on, you would ask the question uh, prior to the show about um, hallucinogenic drugs. And so I, so in terms of how people use ayahuasca now and magic mushrooms and all these sort of things, I actually have no opinion on it. It's just not my thing. And
0: well, let's, let's, let's be real here. They're definitely used as a sort of party drug, but to give you, I don't know if you've listened to any other episodes to give you an idea. I think they're a powerful tool. I had severe OCD, CBT therapy pills, let me down for years. and I go, I have to figure something else out. Lo and behold, I had a, a history from when I was younger in high school and college and stuff with psilocybin mushrooms. Couple experiences on those and boom, I'm back in the game. I feel great. There's, you know, I, it does something. It like resets your mind or does something. But as a musician as well, I can tell you these these substances do have an impact on art in a significant way. And that's my opinion on it. I know everybody's opinion difference. But from somebody that's done it, that's familiar with art, that has produces their own art, there's a reason why you see rock stars. And I mean, even look at the Beatles, the most clean cut band ever. What did they create after they used psychedelic drugs for the first time? Sgt. Pepper's greatest album of the Beatles, in my opinion. So, I mean, I just think that there's something to that. And uh, what, I, what I was talking to you about before was um, in the El Castillo cave with the red discs. I think you're right. In what you were describing that you don't think that those are Amanita Muscaria, which was Um, hypothesized by Graham Hancock on his band TED Talk and I agree with you there. I don't think that that's Amanita muscaria. There's no white uh, marks on them. There's no white stem. Um, Who knows? Maybe they didn't have a white color. Maybe it just wasn't that aspect of it. But there is other cave art that does depict mushrooms, and I can pull it up if you want. Um, yeah,
1: I'd like to see that. So, so the Graham Hancock, when we pull the slides in front of us, has the, his so-called war on consciousness. Right. And we, we can see the, the Peshmerl from about 25,000 years ago, and so the red disc. So that is uh, much um, much later than the, the of disc. So if in the of disc, we find all these red discs become... The artist uses them to create other characters, and no one's eating red discs. Um, it they're just not. They're just has nothing to do with magic mushrooms. And so I don't believe that I don't believe that cave art has anything to do that the, the first art of man had anything to do with magic mushrooms. I well,
0: believe those aren't just so you know too. Those aren't necessarily your typical psilocybin or psilocybe type mushrooms. Amanita yeah. scare is a very specific type of mushrooms that's more considered. Uh, a hypnotic. Uh, it's not even hy- a pleasant trip, is yeah, it? Yeah, it's 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 active ingredients, muskamol, what they've tried to synthesize into making a sleep aid medicine. You People do hallucinate. Um, it's been widely used by the Siberian uh, shamanic tribes. What they do is the reindeers love them too, so they dig them up underneath the snow in Siberia. They eat them, and then the shaman drink their urine and hallucinate because it's something about how it's metabolized is what activates the hallucinogenic properties of it. And
1: that's a good conversation to have with Graham Hancock.
0: <laughs> oh no, no, We'd I, yeah. we would love Yo, to have it. if him. if he could come on the show, obviously that would be great. Get him
1: on the show, you know. Reach out, you know. You guys, get him on the show and have him defend his his, silk, his band war and consciousness. Right, right, right. Um, because it just it just isn't. But I'm I'm with Picasso that the first art of man we first found it we saw it in the rocks that it was paradelia and we brought it forth we brought the spirits forth. And in the clouds, and and, um, and and the bone, and the wood. That's how I see it is coming. Had nothing to do with hallucinogenic drugs, and right. or you know. So, but that doesn't mean. So, so you know, I've been injured in the past, and I took you know some sort of opiates, right? Um, and so, it doesn't mean that hallucinogenic drugs. Have no value in society. I am not that person.
0: Right. Um, you're just saying it doesn't have a bearing on it the first. Has anything to do
1: with consciousness, K-bar. symbolic behavior, or or the, the the foundation of consciousness, symbolic behavior, or cave art? Um, that's my well, my thing.
0: there there is a hypothesis though. I don't know if you're aware of it. Is the doubling of the brain size occurred? Um, you know, food of the gods from Terrence McKenna. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, they were flipping cow cow patties over, and and um yeah. the the image I'm going to bring up right now.
1: Yeah, but you remember the Stone Day theory? But, yeah, he's, oh, oh. So he's talking flipping cow patties, which is right. the Neolithic. Right. So we were conscious before the Neolithic, and we were probably conscious millions of years. Well,
0: let me ago. ask you: if if that's the case, then how come there you don't see the stick figures and the people till later on? Why is it a lot of animals early on as opposed to um people that if if we were so in tuned and conscious
1: oh actually so in this in this well the images that you've seen today of people are actually now the oldest images by about ten thousand years that we have in paleolithic art so i kind of brought that forth
0: gotcha okay,
1: and i there's many other images of people out there why do they have the, all these animals well in this particular one as the as the hero goes on his journey, he takes on the spirits of the animal. So the animals is just important are just important as the people on right. in this panel. But um but yeah so later we have stick figures there's well there's many different representations of of, of figurative art in the same way there's different representations of music. And so someone you know just tapping a drum boom tap 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 and um, chanting is its own music, whereas the other person okay. is a little more elaborate. Right. So, you know, people, art is, there's many different styles of art. And there's, I'm, sure, no doubt there's, there's many people that have used um, hallucinogenic substances to make art. No question about that. Um, art of many different types. I just don't think it has anything to do with the origin of consciousness, symbolic behavior, or cave art, as Hancock
0: i' I'll, I'll agree with you that it's not the origin of consciousness, yeah. but I do believe it's enhanced consciousness,
1: oh yeah, no question well it it, it changes consciousness
0: so right here, this yeah. is uh Selva Paslaqua in Spain, which is six thousand years old. Yeah. You have the bull, and then you've got the um the mushrooms down here. There's thirteen little mushrooms, and like we just said, mushrooms grow on cow patties,
1: yeah. So yeah, um, so what, what's the so what's the date of that one?
0: Six thousand. So that's what I'm saying. I don't think it has a barrier. Like what you're saying, like the first people probably weren't using hallucinogenic drugs, and if they were, it wasn't v- visible in their actual art. This, you, yeah. this I'm saying is it's clearly visible there at the bottom. Sure. But those are those are mushrooms. I mean, they're, yeah, they're absolutely.
1: Still- and so I tend, and this ties into what Terrence McKenna said. He said during the Neolithic, people rounded up cattle, and it was from the. It was from the dung of the cattle that they found the mushrooms. And right. so saying McKenna was saying is that to really have have uh, for nomadic people to have the mushrooms, they had to have the cattle living in, in among them.
0: The oldest history I could find is there's a mural in Algeria. They say that's dated between 7 and 9,000 uh, B.C., that has, um, solosybii marae or marar. Um, and it's here, I can pull up the thing. And even the, the, the anthropologist says that it's that mushroom because it doesn't have the specific, um, uh, the way that, that it was drawn is very close. And I couldn't find a picture of it right now. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. My, my focus is I'm, I'm interested in much older time. Right. And, um,
0: no, I mean, look, I, yeah. I, 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 like I said, I found your yeah. book amazing. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot that I, I, I guess when I when I went in, I had an open mind because I didn't know yeah. a lot about cave art. I mean, I had an idea, but um, you know, it just it goes it goes back to, uh, um, you know, back to the beginning. I guess is is where you know it comes. It from. really
1: does. It it it, it goes. We talked to. You know who who'd be my greatest inspiration? Really, what connects us would be Joseph Campbell. I mean, without any question, yeah. um, because this isn't really about cave art, and it's not really about um, the animals, and it's about the hero that goes on his journey, and a journey that we all take. We all take as individuals, and some people take a you know a great right. others, right? And uh, so. That's really, I think that's, I really see that as the crux of the whole thing and not, so I'm going to go to, um, I'm going to pull myself back.
0: Okay. Can you see me? Yeah. Well, I think this is fascinating. And look, I'm not, you know, I wasn't trying to check you at all. I just, I think these discussions get enhanced when you have some sort of, uh, you know, mediumship there. Like I said, I love your book. I think you are definitely onto something. Can you explain, because I did see you explain the hero's journey, it was almost like a timeline um, from the El Castillo cave, how you described how the person went through the... Oh, hose.
1: absolutely. Actually, actually, that's really good. Um, so we find this, this character, the hero, or the teacher speaks into the ear of the apprentice, and that, and that teacher goes on a journey. He trans- transforms into the Avanoid, and he travels from northern Spain th- across, across, down through the Barren Peninsula across Strait Gibraltar, into Africa. And in Africa, we, we find animals like on this panel, like the giraffe and so forth. But he's taking this journey, not just on land where he meets these animals, but he's taking them through the night sky as well. So as he, as he goes from north to south and south north again, those are the constellations that he sees in the night sky. So as in the Hermetic tradition, as above, so below, they believed that the earth and the sky were a mirror of the other. Neither is reality. Neither is no more real than the other, I should say. And that, so we, we, you know, we think of, we talk about, people talk about astrology today, and we look to the heavens for our answers. Well, these ideas are deep into our psyche. They go back for a very different, very distant point in time, at least 34,000 years ago. And this, this panel that we find, this is a, these are fully developed constellations in, in the same order as the Greeks had them. These people didn't come up with this. This, it came up from a far distant time, at least tens, if not hundreds of thousands of years before, that people were following the constellations through the seasons, and tell them where, when they should be, and what the, what will happen. So, in certain times of the year, the they'll find animals in point A, and other points, other times they find them in point B, and the, the constellations reflected. Um, that for them. And so this hero goes on his journey, he travels all the way to, to Africa and he comes back again. And on the journey, he, he's, he's learning about himself and he's, he's facing all his fears. And I would believe, I believe the climatic moment is when he's holding that, that, that club and he's fighting that monster and the monster that he fights. We're, we're not really sure if it's, is it the deer? Is, is it the lion? Is it the, the sphinx Cardmore character? It's not see this the seal. I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. But he ha- he's fighting the monster within himself, um, and that is, the, that is the, the high point of the hero's journey. And when you come to face the monster um, within yourself, you then find more wholeness, um, and you, you, know, you come back to tell the story, which returns all the way back again to the beginning of the story. We've, we have to find the teacher speaking to the ear of the apprentice. And so that apprentice, the, 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 um, it, it's a circle, and I believe that all the apprentices in that time period took that journey and was some sort of rite passage for the apprentice because it, it told them all their myth and their constellations and how where all the animals were. It told them where they came came from, which is Africa, and a place that they did go back to about twelve thousand years ago. Cave art disappears in Europe, just just actually southern Europe completely disappears. But you think art, that's
0: because the younger dryas?
1: So, so I, I'm not sure the reason why, but what happens about 12,000 years ago is rock art first emerges in this greater Sahara. And we find the same animals. We find the elephants. We find the giraffe. We found the hippopotamus. You could walk for, for mile, from actually weeks across the Sahara today, only see sand, and, it, and come across a rock wall with an alligator. Okay. So the Sahara 12,000 years ago was expansive lake region, lakes larger than the Great Lakes. And there were crocodiles, hippopotamus, and all these savanna animals there. So what I believe happened is 12,000 years ago, everybody took their journey. And they, went, they, were, pushed out of, they were pushed out of Europe for I'm not sure what reason why. It could have been the Younger Dryas. Um, but they were pushed back into Africa. And from there, they disseminated th- throughout the continent and they disseminated their art. So the, Sahara, the Great Sahara is a large area. Of course, it's larger than the United States. But it is the largest art gallery in the world. And it's full of animals and full That's of crazy, people. Yeah. And so I believe that we went that these people went back into West in Western North Africa. And there's a difference in people. If you look if people in West North Africa, Morocco and Algeria, compared to sub-Saharan Africa, they're completely different people. The people in West North Africa are we would describe as Caucasoid, the people that look just like they do in Southern Europe, where sub Saharan Africa people are um, are this Africans, as we, the black Africans, we would say. And this is not anything to do with race or who's smart or anything like that. It's nothing to do with that. But so, why, what, where do these people in West North Africa for come from? I believe they came from Southern Europe about 12,000 years ago. So they didn't disappear, they migrated back into Africa. Now, West, into West North Africa, where they remain, and we can find some of the stories from the gallery and disc and other images within their own culture. So there's a, you, I'm not sure if you've had any Atlantean um, scholars on your program.
0: But the, uh, so, We have not, but I mean, I know a lot about, it. I've researched it, yeah. I'm up on all the latest stuff.
1: So the ancient Greeks had been to these caves, as well as the Romans, Phoenicians, Babylonians, and others. And they would have looked at this, and they would have been amazed. Because now they, they had great architecture, but they didn't have these type of images. They're overlapping images, and they would have recognized this was a distant point in time, because there were animals that they didn't recognize either, because the animals had, had long passed on become extinct or or not in their part of the world i should say um and so they would have looked at these images and they would have said to themselves this is absolutely amazing this is a technology beyond our comprehension that they were incredibly smart people in the past but what happened to them they knew they weren't down the road from them and they knew they so what happened to them, so they came up with a story they came up with a pretty darn good story A story of people that were, you know, that did had to be a moral component to it, right? So people that had done badly, they enslaved their neighbors, and the great heroes, the Greeks, fought against them, but they were ultimately destroyed by an earthquake and fires and all these sort of things. But they had to explain among themselves what happened to these great people, what happened to this this incredible um, astronomy and mythology and artwork that they couldn't... They couldn't redo the artwork, otherwise we would see it in, in their record. We see pieces of it, such as the Sphinx. So I believe that the, I'm not an Atlantean type, but I believe that the, there was never a great civilization that had spaceships and, you know, and undersea worlds and all these sort of things, but that the ancients saw something from the distant past, couldn't explain where these people were, and therefore it must have been a lost civilization.
0: Well, I mean, uh, for me, Atlantis isn't what you described either. It's not spaceships and underwater stuff. It's it's an advanced civilization for its time. I mean, if we look at Gobekli Tepe, what were those hunter-gatherers doing, raising those yeah. T-pillars up in and, and such a, you know, and not only that, they were carving away as a relief carving, which you don't really see anywhere else either. So that's pretty interesting. But from the Atlantis, are you familiar with the most recent uh people out there hypothesis. I think the guy from ancient Arch- architects and that Jimmy guy from, um, bright insight have been pushing, uh, the hypothesis for Atlanta, uh, Atlantis that, you know, um, you know what the recot structure is in the Sahara, the eye of the Sahara.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I did see that. Yes. Okay. That, so there's a bunch yeah.
0: of, yes, yeah, so there's a bunch of concentric circles and yeah. that, uh, you know, it's described almost perfectly by the Timaeus and the Crataeus, mm-hmm. um, from Plato's work. Um, but, yeah, it's, that's kind of exactly where you're talking about in the Sahara there.
1: It's the greatest Sahara. And so they came up with a story. And we started off this program today about, you know, why do monsters live in caves? Right. But we didn't actually see any monsters, did we? We right. found characters that the Greeks would have said were monsters, or we today would say are monsters. But we never actually found the monsters. And so I believe that the monsters do live in the caves. We're the, the monsters. <laughs> the monsters are within ourselves.
0: <laughs> we are the monsters. We are look, the monsters. Look at what we do. We kill things. We, you know, we got zoos, we got all sorts of we slave people, you know. So yeah, I think we are the monsters.
1: And I think I think a great example of the story is with um Luke Skywalker, and he goes to the Dogaba cave. And he stands out that side. He wants to go in, and Yoda says, You're not ready. And he says, Well, I'm going to go in anyway. And and then he says, Luke asks, What do I bring with you? And Yoda says, You only bring in yourself. Or something something like that. But it's probably, I mixed up, you got to mix up the verbs and the nouns a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So, So Luke goes down to the cave, and he sees Darth Vader, his nemesis. And he battles with Darth, and the lightsaber, and so, and he lobs off the, the helmet of, of Darth Vader, and he sees his own face within him. Um, and so the monster is, the monster that is in that cave, and the same caves that we've gone today, is truly the monster in ourselves. Monsters, these these animal beings in our world, this, the, 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 the mythical carnivore, the Spanx, the... The, the lion, the, the Cetus, the seal is not a monster. Um, and the mermaid and so forth. <laughs> could be. <laughs> could be it could be a walrus or monster. something you know. uh, like <laughs> that. But they're really the monsters, the fears within ourselves as we take this journey. But we have, we have, to, we have to answer the call, as Joseph Campbell would have said and When we answer the call, we're, we're beginning to face our monsters. And at the climax of our journey, when we come to face ourselves, that we truly are the monster that it's not all these other things that are out there, then, we, then we're, we, we're ready to come home and tell our story, whether or not people believe it or not.
0: Awesome. Hell yeah. Wow. Let me ask you one more thing uh, before we wrap up here. I mean, we can talk more if you want, but um, it just seems like that's a good place to end. But I ask all my guests this, do you believe in some sort of, creator you know not necessarily like a god like a dude in the sky but do you believe that this all means something because we are kind of living breathing magic and i don't understand the complete reductionist viewpoint on stuff and i study physics quantum physics all that kind of stuff so i'm up to date with all that kind of stuff and they they're not really all on the same page themselves with all that so um you know string theory is pretty much outdated at this point so
1: good question so we could, we've, we could have spent weeks just in this palli- this discs, disk, and plus some other images. And what we found was all these animals are overlapping with each other. And we find this man holding the egg. And when he's holding the cosmic egg, which is the origin of creation in, in mythology. And then we found among the Dogon, the Vedics, the, the Norse, the Egyptians, yeah. it, and the, the, the Chinese, and the story of Peng, the myth of Pengu. He's holding the cosmic egg. And so we have this, this sense within ourselves that we need to find, there must be a beginning and there must be an end. And so we're searching for that cosmic egg, that beginning. And we, whether or not the cosmic egg falls from a bird or it's made by a great creator, we're, we're looking to find the answer to the one of the two great mysteries, the mystery of where we come from and where we're going to. And there's something within us that... It's, it's wired in us to keep doing that. And whether you're a physicist or, or you're, you're um, a spiritual type person, we're all seeking that same answer. Because it's the search for that answer is what keeps us together. Mm-hmm. It creates the myths that we follow. And around the world, Christ, I'm not a Christian, but around the world, is, the Christians can communicate with each other because they have a common myth. Mm-hmm. And Muslims can communicate with each other. And, a, and physicists can communicate because they have this common myth of the Big Bang. Right and, and there's, of course, many, there's many different ideas about the creation of the universe or multiverses. But it's the myths that keep us together. And it's the myths that kept us together for tens of thousands of years that we had the same myth of this cosmic man, that all these explosion of the universe. But here's the, here's the difference between the, the cosmic egg myth that we hear today and the Big Bang and so forth, is that in this image, there is no, cre- there's no single creation. What's happening is, is that the egg, the, the bird hatches, the bird drops and hatches the egg every year. And every year the universe explodes and all the constellations come to being. So their world was sick, circular, uh, cyclical.
0: Yep.
1: They had no original creation. But when the when the ancients went into these caves and they, they, they came out with the story that when this this archetypal story, they said, that there was this creation, there was this original time and place, and the there was Egyptians a singularity. Call it yeah, there was a septic. But in fact, the the Paleolithic version is that it's it's a circle. So every year the bird drops the cosmic egg, and every year it explodes, and every year that the hero goes on his journey. And that was a story that they would have told in or in and just before the summer solstice.
0: I like that answer. That's a good answer, actually.
1: Yeah, it's an answer that nobody actually, Native Americans would have that would have a similar answer, Native yeah. Americans because they're cyclical culture. Sure. and
0: I think but that there's, some, there. there's something to that too. I mean, you think of a you know what's the infinity symbol? It's pretty much it's not a circle, but it's secular in the sense that you know, it's, it's going in the same pattern over and over and over and over and over. so um, but yeah, no, I think uh, I liked your book. I, let's check out uh, do you have a website? is it, it's beforeorion.com, is that what?
1: Yeah, I can pull it up. Let's pull it up. It's okay. Uh, go to the uh, application window and Can you see the last slide?
0: Uh, no. It's just you still. Okay, hang on
1: a second. Can... Okay, I'm learning how to do this.
0: <laughs> no, it's all good. Well, look, we are we still, still tinkering. Baby. We're still tinkering around with stuff ourselves. So. How are we looking? Okay, good. you're good now.
1: So I use Before Orion for everything. I hashtag hashtag Before Orion. Um, Lots of videos. My webpage, BeforeOrion.com. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, YouTube. Lots of videos. But the easier place to go is the webpage, BeforeOrion.com, which becomes a portal to absolutely everything else. And uh, if if you're a reader, go for it. If not, that's okay, too. Um, There's lots of... um, there's lots of media out there for people to look at and explore. and But it's, you know, we've covered today maybe 5% of the book.
0: Well, we'll um, we'll we'll have you back on for sure. We're we'll doing I mean, again, yeah, 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 for sure. No, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I learned a lot, man. I, I, I learned a lot too. You know, and I, there's a couple things you know I don't necessarily agree with, but that doesn't okay. that doesn't mean it's perfect. You know, like I I liked your book. I thought you had a good hypothesis. I like where you were going with everything. I like how your book you included the pictures and described things and had A B C D that kind of a thing mm-hmm. going on. I thought you did a really good job structuring it out and and telling your story. Um, so I highly recommend your book. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll have you back on and we'll discuss it more and we'll go into more detail next time. Oh, there's pictures in it. Maybe I'll read it. <laughs> <laughs> have a great day, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, brother. Peace.